Hi there, and thanks for joining us. On this episode, we speak to the Marketing Institute of Ireland. We hear about a global conference that's just been announced for Cork and a new bursary to get women coding. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. My next guest is the new chair of the Marketing Institute Cork, which is part of the Marketing Institute of Ireland. Fiona Ryan, how are you? Well, you're very welcome. Thanks a million, Jonathan. Delighted to be here. Um, now, you're you're new in the role, so no complicated questions. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice Spot and simple on. and straightforward. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about MII. What is it? So the Marketing Institute um, of Ireland is the voice of marketing in Ireland, really. And it is an organisation where people in the industry can become members. And it's a place where there's great networking opportunities. And then, be it the MMI in our, in Dublin or in Cork, we try to then arrange various events throughout the year where we talk about trends, what's new in marketing. We also look at showcasing best practice and best campaigns where we might get a brand in who have done something particularly impressive or stand out or innovative and we get them then to speak at events. So that it's really education. Mm. It's a place where you can share knowledge. The one thing is that the space is very noisy at the moment that there's an awful lot of things out there and we are running towards Christmas at the moment so if you haven't got Santa or an elf in it it's not going to get noticed. <laughs> so it's becoming increasingly difficult to stand out and that must prove to be a real challenge for a marketeer like you. It is, it really is and I mean not only in the marketing space but even if you take the organisation there's so many different groups out there now with different events so even for our own members we really have to put on our marketing hats and think outside the box be it the content that we're offering how we're promoting our events you know, so it really is a challenge on both fronts. Um, but I think for us, we just actually launched there uh, yesterday our new season and our launch event this year all focused around digital because I suppose for us it's one of the most transformative channels in the marketing But mix. also the most disruptive. So therefore you have to go in with a shield while wielding a sword. <laughs> Completely. There is so much noise and so much research out there that just shows the generations that we're in now, going from millennial to Gen Z, it's so hard to crack that group. They're always on mobile, they're always online, but it's very rare. They spend so little time looking at content that content really is king to make sure that you are cutting through that noisy, noisy marketplace Mm. and catching their interest and getting them to stop and to consume a message without them even realising that they've done so. Yeah, well, that's the trick. Uh, And particularly with the millennial generation, isn't it? That They they are a very hard group to capture. I mean, if you're standing there in a series of spangly dresses, they might stop. But in general, they're a hard group to to penetrate, aren't they? Hugely. um, But I find that a lot of the time people, it's either, again, interesting content that will stop and attract attention. Video is becoming more and more popular. Garod Buckley, one of our speakers last night, he's a group marketing manager for LinkedIn. He um, shared some research that showed in terms of spend and where the trends are going, that social is by far and and wide the biggest um, spend category, followed by digital video. Video is hugely important and a lot of the channels that our, our millennials are on Facebook, LinkedIn or Facebook and Instagram, they prioritise video content. So if you're only organically spending, you really need to invest in those video pieces Mm. for your organic reach to grow. What I find as well with that generation is if you can get them engaged. So 
a lot of the time it's that kind of experiential side of things where that could be experiential on the ground but even in digital it's creating fun games creating something that's that is going to capture their attention for those few minutes mm. where they can absorb brand messages but in a fun, interactive way where they feel that they're becoming part Bloody of it. Bloody hard group to please by all accounts. I mean, look, you, you come from Hopkins, Hopkins Communications so you work with Mark and Judy and, and they've been doing this a long time. Uh, 30 and, years in business next yeah, year. Yeah, and a long time before digital was even a thing. Yeah. You, you have to marry everything together. Um, and, and in theory, that's actually quite easy because you've got more outlets to, into which you can put that message. But it's not because you've got some clients who will want traditional, you'll have some clients who want digital only and the, pro- the right answer is probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? It is. And like... I'm delighted to be with Hopkins because I'm in a unique position that because we are a fully integrated agency, we get to offer clients that one-stop shop. And as you said, sometimes it's bringing them in slowly. There are companies that are very traditional, but they need to move at the times because as you said, digital now, it's growing and growing and growing and you can't deny with the, you know, you can't argue the research. Um, but it is about using that mix, finding something that they're comfortable with, but then letting the results speak for themselves. And I think marketeers nowadays, even in our own company, things are changing so often. We do a lot of business with drinks brands. Come next year, the, the marketing is completely changing. But You're the law's no lo- changing, isn't it? Exactly. There's new regulations coming out. You no longer will be able to advertise um, using billboards. So a lot of your a lot of your traditional advertising will be gone. Mm. So then again, you're then being tasked with, okay, well now, how do we work around this? How do we still engage with an audience and still get that mass reach? Well, let's take Fiona Ryan, consumer here. So take off your marketing hat, right? And you have your phone. Uh, it's in front of you there on silent. Well done, you're in the <laughs> studio. Um, but when you're scrolling through, what does it take Fiona Ryan to stop and go, oh, I'm interested in that now. I mean, we're, we're all consumers at the end of the day and we're all unique and individual and as a result, it's hard. So what, what gets your attention? I have to say it is all very visual with me. So be it a video, but it has to catch my attention in the first few seconds. Yeah, if it's not happening gone, in the I'm first five gonna, seconds, you're yeah, moving on. I'm yeah. not going to watch it. Um, something that isn't very, very brand heavy. If I feel like I'm completely being sold to... I'm not a fan. Um, but even visual, I find myself more and more moving on to the Instagram channels and it is just down to the really, really appealing imagery. I will stop then if something is visually appealing, I'll read more about it. Mm. Um, but I mean, again, this is the drum that I'm consistently banging, working in kind of a similar industry to you. It's all about the story. If you don't have a good story behind something, you're not going to engage the audience. No, and I think that's where a lot of the video content now is all human interest. And you do find that yes. old tugging on the heartstrings yeah, sometimes out humans, does work. Some out humans just aren't interesting and you have to be conscious of that as well. Yeah, no, completely. But I do think that people are really working. We're lucky, we're Irish, we're storytellers. And I think if you can bring that out and if brands can bring that out, I think a lot of the hard thing is trying to explain to a brand where the story lies and not being too commercial with it. People have amazing stories, even to do with people that are working for a company. And sometimes they get caught up with an offer or a, you know, a sales, sales, sales message. Whereas you said, you need to bring it back to, to what we're good at mm. and telling a story that's going to be interesting. I, I, I love the language you used at the start. This is a very marketing thing to do. You, you mentioned the season. It's like it's, it's like a princess emerging at the start <laughs> of the year uh, in her floral gown. How long does the season run for? We'll go from now until May. So we'll wrap up again in, um, in May for, for the year and then... 
the new chair will take over They'll and so start planning again. Yeah, Very exactly. Good. Okay. <laughs> well, good luck with your season and everything that it brings with it. Fiona Ryan, the new chair of MII Cork. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks a million, Jonathan. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. Cork is really growing as a destination for big conferences. Now, we could be bigger. Let's not mention the convention centre. But we are very good at bringing in those mid-sized conferences that are really, really interesting. And my next guest has been successful in bringing to Cork the prestigious European Angel Network Annual Congress. Fanula Wall, Marketing Manager of Cork Big. How are you? Great, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. What is the European Angel Network Annual Congress? So IBAN is an association of business angel networks right around Europe, but also they stretch to Africa, Middle East, um, America. And it's an association that brings together business angel networks on an annual basis on in June every year to basically discuss angel investing, entrepreneurs, corporates, and also look at private par- public partnerships and also look at policymakers. So let, let's assume that I am the Egypt that I am and, and break it down to the most basics. What is an angel investor? So an angel investor is somebody who has chosen to invest in a company of their private money and usually they take a small equity share of the company. So they have decided that they would like to invest in a company that's doing medical devices or food and they will invest their time and money into this company. Um, and they do it because they get a slice at the end, but the company wouldn't be able to grow unless they got the investment. Exactly. And typically with business angel investors is they also take a an active interest and role in the company. They're not a passive investor. They're very much somebody who usually sits on a board or is a director and advisor. So they get involved and they usually invest in areas and sectors that they're familiar with. It's funny when you delve into the world of business, which I've done a lot of in the last couple of years, the perception always is that investors are very cutthroat. It's all very dragon's den. That you know, Some of the dragons are pure mean dragons and some of the dragons are very nice dragons. But ultimately, you, you get the sense that the investor is out somehow. To, to catch out other individuals. But that's not always the case and most certainly isn't with angel investors. Exactly. And that is our experience with the people that we work with, particularly the business angel community in Cork, for instance, which we would work quite closely with. And the two angel syndicates that are based in this area, one being the Bool Syndicate and the Iris Syndicate, which is based in Limerick, they're very much people who want to see the startups and entrepreneurs succeed. They want to see, well, obviously they want to see their money go places, but they also have a vested interest in making these entrepreneurs and startups work and they take a really active role within the companies. Um, Is it the case that a lot of these individuals uh, are obviously they're high net individuals because they have made money doing something else but have they maybe you know made their millions and are now looking for things to keep them busy? Absolutely. That is one part of it. There is no doubt about it. And as a result, you know, you don't always hear about the angel investors. They're not very obvious. They're not in the PR and the media, particularly in Ireland. They keep a very low profile. But they might have been previously, but not doing it now. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, there is a bit of that. But there is also people who are active in business who like to get involved in other other startups that are are starting out, typically in a sector that they would be, you know, used to. And particularly in Cork, we see that being biopharma, life sciences, agri-tech and food and uh, the maritime area. Uh, Corkbick is a private sector organisation really, isn't it? You're you're a collection of organisations that are effectively trying to help other organisations find their own way. It it, it is kind of all part of a, a virtuous circle if I can call it that. Exactly. I mean we work with startups and entrepreneurs and building their propositions and getting them investor ready and then 
getting them ready to pitch to investors. So we would we work with the startups from right throughout their life cycle and further on through seed investment, not just the first round early stage investing, which typically business angels would be involved in, but also VC investment as well. How do they feel about being called angels? Does it sit lightly on the shoulders if you're being described I've, as an angel? I've never heard anybody comment on it any otherwise. I think it's just a general business term as you throw out. I don't think it's ever been an issue. I, I wonder, is there ever a dispute after us as to how angelic they were in the first place? Let's go back to IBAN 2020. Um, bringing it to Cork is significant. You mentioned that it was in Dublin before in Helsinki and other places. Is Cork viewed as a kind of a natural place for a conference of this kind? Because, we, you know, we, we have our challenges in, in capacity. We can only have certain venues with certain sizes. It, was it easy to convince them to come here? It was because we looked at Cork as the whole package, not just about the conference venues, about the food, about the lifestyle, about the sport. So we're really trying to bring that to the fore in this and really showcase Cork. So while the venue, we are having it in a city hall, we're also using Parky Creeve, we're also using the farm gate in the, in the English market market. We're really looking at this as a showcase of Cork. To remember that this event is really for high net worth individuals to a certain degree. They want a destination to go to, to actually experience that destination. I was recently at the European Angel Investment Summit in Brussels and they they held the dinner in the Magritte Museum where there was a Salvador Dali and Magritte. They're very much into showcasing the area that they're in and we were in the European Commission for part of that event. So it's more than just the conference that these people come for. Okay, well it is going to run um, in June of next year? Yeah, so we're basically, it's on in the Cork City Hall from the 10th to the 12th of June 2020. Our website is up and live ready to take tickets and to book the tickets. We have, it's www.eban.com cork2020.com and there's early bird tickets available at the moment and there's also discounts available for startups who are going to pitch at the event so all they have to do is look at the criteria that's available they need to be less than five years but there is good discounted tickets for startups It could be the best business decision you make in 2019 uh, and you're making it at the very end of the year as well Fanula Wall Marketing Manager with Cork Big thanks so much for joining us Thank you Jonathan The only show in town for Cork Business Red Business now, coding is something that used to be done an awful lot in schools, then we stopped doing it altogether, and now there's a bit of a game of catch-up underway to try and convince kids that they should code, because guess what? Many of their future jobs will involve coding on a daily basis. So how do we get them interested? My next guest is somebody who works with an international coding school that's opening their first Irish campus. Marek Weisepek, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Wild Code School. Sure. So Wild Code School is originally a French company and they launched in 2014 off the back of a hackathon, uh, would you believe, that the owner went to. So the owner... Oh, it sounds painful, a hackathon. It always on. does, yeah. yes, it does. Well, the idea with the hackathon is to throw in um, a problem and get a group of people to try and come up with different solutions. And the problem that they looked at at that point was how modern computer science was being taught and how they basically felt it wasn't really fit for purpose anymore. So off the back of the hackathon, Anna, who was the owner... Uh, started Wild Code School and created a very unique way of teaching coding that condensed a potential three or four year worth of a university degree into a five month intensive programme. Okay, so that's a lot to take on. Who are you targeting with this school? What age profile? It's 18 upwards. Okay, and do they have to have studied computer science in school? No, this is one of our unique elements. We don't look at anyone's background. We really just look at people's desire and ability. 
I mentioned at the start there that coding is becoming commonplace in a lot of jobs right now. Parents in particular don't realise that. Coding is an alien world. They just pick up their phone and it works. Yet, obviously, somebody at some point has has put code together that makes the phone work, um, but but they don't necessarily equate their kids learning coding with, with that future, do they? That's correct, yeah. And I think what people don't realise is literally everything that we do now has technology that powers it. So everything's from your smart homes, your watches, your cars even, obviously laptops and phones are all built by developers through coding. Um, so the school in question is setting up in Dublin. Um, it, it's a pretty intensive course if it's over the, that five-month period. How much can you realistically take in and, and what do you emerge on the far side as? There are three things that we fundamentally want all the students to come out with after they complete the course. So the first element is that they want, we want all the students to have all the skills required to become a junior web developer. So that's really from the technical perspective. But equally as important, we want people to have all the soft skills that are now so important in the modern workplace. I think the old image of a coder with headphones sat in the corner, never speaking to people, is a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, look, let's, let's euphemistically call them nerds. People would have associated coding with nerdiness, which is probably a, a misnomer in this modern era. Absolutely, yes. And, and I think that element of teamwork and project-based uh, practical work is really important and something that we, 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 we implement throughout the whole course, hence why it's a campus-based course. We don't feel you can get those skills by doing something online. So we want people to be in the campus working with other people, working in teams, working on real projects. And that gives people the skills that are makes them much more work-ready, if that makes sense. Mm. Is it something that you can turn your hand to slightly older? In other words, I'm 43 now. I remember, and I've told the story on the podcast before, of sitting down uh, on an old BBC computer in primary school, um, learning basic uh, and and not realising that I was coding at the time, but that's what I was doing. And then it was a lost art, uh, and I haven't done a tap of it since. Could someone like me turn their hand to it? Absolutely. I think coding is effectively learning a language, and that's the reality. Uh, when I joined, I went over to France to spend some time in different campuses. And the age range is from 18 to 58 was the, was the oldest person I came across. So really, it just comes down to the ability that people have. And if they have that ability, then they can code. Uh, one of the things you're trying to do is to get women to take up coding. Is, is there a particular challenge there? Well, I think there's a, stereotype, a stereotype that means women don't think it's a, a career for them, which actually is completely incorrect. It's a the, the opportunities that are uh, around for all people are, are boundless. And I think women are really important to, to be, to be um, enticed to come into coding. So presently, there are about 30% of all tech jobs globally that are filled by women. So there is a real gap to try and get more women to try and move into this area. Mm-hmm. Um, the, tech, uh, the tech industry as a whole is actually the only industry in the world that actually pays women and men equally for doing the same job. Okay, so there's no pay disparity there at all? No, I was at the Work Equal conference yesterday and it was interesting, the conversations where the, the challenge with technology is not to get the, 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 the pay to be the same. It's more about getting more women to actually come into the... To that end, you are dangling something of a carrot. Um, you've teamed up with Dress for Success, yes. um, which is a great uh, organisation trying to get women uh, to, to become, I suppose, coders, to become successful in business. What is the scholarship programme about and how do you qualify? So the scholarship is, we've tried to make it as simple as possible. We are offering five women full scholarship to the the course. So the the first course is starting in January 
So effectively, the first five women who complete the application process will be given the scholarship. So the only things that they need to, to really bring to the table is they're a woman over the age of 18, and they can do a full-time course from January the 13th. So that's it? That's the only qualification? That's absolutely okay. it. Um, well, look, what's the website if people need to find out more about Wild Code School and, and decide that the future is indeed bright for coders, female coders at that? So wildcodeschool.com, and then when you're on the site, if you click on the campuses and pick Dublin, and there's more information there about the course itself. You can download brochures and also find more information on the scholarships. Okay, Marek Wistepec. Thank you so much for joining us. Marek Wistepec from Wild Code School. Thank you for joining us on Red Business. Thank you. My thanks to all my guests. Don't forget you can listen to every episode of Red Business on redextra.ie. Neil Hennessy was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast.